eating disorders are very serious business. They are not something that you just dance around. You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello. Today you'll hear me talk to mother of three, Karen Korn. I was interested in talking to Karen as J.D. Owlett, who we had on the podcast last week and the week before, tipped me off that she might be an interesting person to chat with on the topic of veganism and eating disorders. Now, Karen teaches anthropology, sustainability, and art history. She has a deep-rooted interest in food that she believes stems from the self-sustaining practices of her parents. They're a family with an adventurous attitude to food and one that always liked to respect where their food came from. Oh, and another reason I wanted to talk to Karen? Her daughter has suffered from anorexia. Anyway, Karen, how does food and anthropology come together? food became a great way to teach anthropology. And so I started using food a lot in my classes. So I started doing a lot more research on it. And then that's kind of what reconnected me to sustainability. And I started teaching sustainability because I became a kind of food activist locally because we have a lot of food deserts in Dayton. Um, We have a lot of people who are interested in seeing different kinds of agriculture because we live in the middle of corn, but nobody can eat it kind of thing um, surrounding us. And so anyway, I, I developed lots of personal interests and then professional kind of overlap in food. Um, and then summer of 2014, my daughter, um, well, it happened obviously six months before that, but my daughter was diagnosed with anorexia and, um, that totally put a spin on all of my own kind of engagement with food. Yeah. And so, um, did, did you know anything about anorexia before your daughter was diagnosed? Um, I had known some people who had struggled with it in adolescence. I think everybody has that story, right? Like they knew that girl or boy. Um, and I didn't have really any personal understanding of it. No. I mean, I was familiar with it because I'm an educated person, but I don't think I had any, any understanding like I do now after having been through this, if that makes any sense. Oh, Yes. For some of us, that makes a lot of sense. I then went on to ask Karen to tell me a little bit more about her daughter's diagnosis. She told me the story of how her daughter got a virus around the age 13 and lost a lot of weight as a result. Karen wasn't particularly alerted to the fact that there might have been a deeper problem until this incident. Apologies for the bad line in the beginning of this section. I remember we were standing in my dining room and my older son was standing on one side of the dining room table and Maddie was on the other side and then I was in the kitchen doorway. I can just see this vividly now. Um, And she looked at my son and I and she said, when I was sick, and she said this in a sort of weird way, I can't, it's like this angle of her eyes, tilt of her head, the way she said it. Um, When I was sick, I couldn't eat and I lost like 10 pounds almost. And we, I said, yeah, you are looking thin. And I know that when you've been sick and you lose your appetite, it takes a while to get it back up. Just keep consistently eating. And, you know, slowly you'll get back to that, you know, being able to eat the same amount you did before. And she turned and looked at both of us and she goes, well, I kind of like this. I don't really want that. And my son said, Maddie, don't do that crap. There's girls at school that do that. Do that. There's girls at school that go in the bathroom and throw up and think nobody knows they're doing it. And she was like, I'm not going to do that. And and I said, oh, stop it, you two. She's just been sick, and, you know, she's going to go back to eat 
being normal. She's just feeling that feeling that you have when you've been sick that you don't have the same appetite. It'll come back. Except that it didn't come back. Her daughter then went into healthy eating and did a lot of training for her roller derby sport. Karen did notice that she was more withdrawn and just meaner than she'd ever been before. Um, I took her dress shopping in Louisville, Kentucky at one of these cool retro shops to look for kind of a, um, one of those 50s style, I'm blanking out on the name of it, like with the waist. Anyway, dresses she thought she wanted for a formal dance she was going to. And every single thing she tried on, she came out of the dressing room and was so mean to me. I was like, I don't even know who you are. And I, I thought to myself, oh, teenage hormones. I guess this is what people talk about. I never really experienced that before. And I was like, okay, she's meaner than snot. And then she kept doing weird things on that whole trip around food, like top hit. We would be at these amazing, cool, cutting edge restaurants because my husband works in the craft beer industry. And I mean, we were in these great places with these really interesting, cool foods. And she used to always be really into food and she was picking everything apart and criticizing it. And she's just a, sorry, but a bitch. We were like, oh, many of us, whether you're a sufferer, a parent, caregiver, only too familiar with that bitch that emerges when a person is suffering from an eating disorder. But initially, like most of us, getting a diagnosis was hard enough. Finding the right treatment was even harder. Here's a story from Karen about the first time that an eating disorder was mentioned in a therapy room. But the next time we went to that therapist, I brought up food and Maddie was like, I don't have a problem with food. Would you leave food out of this? And the therapist turned and looked at me and afterwards she said, I think your daughter may have an eating disorder and I am terrified of eating disorders so I'm gonna try and see if we can find you somebody else to talk to I mean she didn't see it as an emergency at that point but she realized she said eating disorders are very serious business they are not something that you just dance around they're deadly and I was like oh I understand that but I didn't understand that that meant like deadly like soon I thought that meant like if you're you let it go on forever Tragically, things got worse for Karen Zoltra after this, and the years that follow brought a traumatic tale of tantrums, self-harm, treatment centres, compulsive exercise, relapse, ER visits, and the weird, weird behaviours that eating disorder sufferers fall into. Now here's for some good news. I am thrilled to report that Karen's daughter is well into recovery now, and she's doing great. Karen's daughter, if you're listening... I'm proud of you, girl. Keep going. Now, let's talk about restrictive diets. Karen herself was vegan for a while, and she reflects on that next. But to start with, just in case any of you who are listening have missed my opinion on eating disorders and veganism, and you haven't yet had it shoved down your throat, here it is. If you don't have an eating disorder, good for you. You can do whatever you like. For the rest of us, however, that do, even the most recovered among us, Something as restrictive as veganism is a big no-go. Life's not fair? Deal with it. You can't do it. Like I said, that's my opinion. I'm pretty heavy with it. Not everybody agrees. Here's what Karen has to say on this one. I guess my point is I don't have a history of eating disorders at all, but I do see that when I behaved in a restrictive manner, when I, 
I do think that there are people who do, like if you keep a food journal and you're just a normal person that does not have an eating disorder, not that you're normal, you have some other problem, but you know, I don't have anorexia, but I suffered. My body physically suffered. There may be some people out there for whom it is okay, but I don't even know if it is okay for everybody. Does that make any sense? Oh, like, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if even the normal person who doesn't have an eating disorder is going to do. I got more anxious not eating all that animal fat. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, when I sort of say, you know, that's okay, that's okay for that person, I mean, they're sort of at will to make that choice. They, yes. If they want to do that. I, personally, I don't think that it is the right, or I think humans are supposed to eat meat, basically. <laughs> um, that's my, but that is my personal opinion. I'm not a scientist. That's just what I think. Um, but what, what I mean is, I, my very strong opinion is that if a person has an eating disorder, they, they just don't have, they can't play with that. It's going back to the cancer example. You know, mm -hmm. if a person has, has been through skin cancer and being diagnosed, guess what? They're going to have to wear sun cream the rest of their life. Other people might choose to go out into the sun without sun cream and a sun hat, but that person that has cancer, they just don't have, they can't even take that risk. You see what I mean? Yeah, totally. I completely agree with that. I, I don't understand how anybody entertains the idea of veganism and recovery. And I think, you know, to me, in, speaking to it from the, the eating disorder perspective, I feel like any food rules really of any kind, like that's kind of been my motto with my daughter. I, I've said to her, you're absolutely welcome to, you know, when you're around me and we're eating someplace that you can make choices. If you want to choose macaroni and cheese over a hamburger and you have all of the other things that go with the meal and you eat a complete meal, I don't care that you're making a vegetarian choice in that moment, but you're not allowed living with me to have um, food rules about what you're eating. It, mm -hmm. you, choose something or not choose it, but that's more about preference and taste when you have that opportunity, not because you've had this, I can, I'm only going to eat this kind of food. I don't know if you get yeah, what I mean. But the, and I think that the main problem is though, like I've said, you can't reason when someone's in that, their eating disorder brain, you can't reason with it. And the eating disorder will tell them very strongly, like this is the only ethical food choice this is the way to be and so then you know like it's the question then becomes okay how do we convince this sort of partially recovered person that this that there's a they they can satisfy their ethical requirements and still eat meat so there are quite a few ways of doing that um it depends on how deep of a thinker they are and how much of a reader they are. Like if they want to go and do some, some reading and some real deep thinking, there are lots of uh, sort of philosophical, you know, theoretical explorations of um, how we solve our nation, our, our planet's food crisis that exists currently in, in regard to global climate change. Um, there's a lot of ways of approaching, uh, looking at making ethical and sustainable food choices that does not include eliminating an entire food group. Um, there are a lot of ways that you can invest yourself in that process or in you know, transforming that, that system, the food system, um, that do not involve you completely quitting eating meat or you know, eggs, fish, whatever. Um, and I think, that, I think that that might be something that you could um, – you know, offer up some, some alternative types of things that people could explore to, to patients who are recovering, who express an interest. I think what I would challenge them toward is, <clears throat> and, and I think it's very easy to find these examples, 
all of the other things in their lives um, that they can make changes uh, with that could impact the welfare of animals that have nothing to do with food. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of stuff that we do and consume that is just horrendous for the welfare of animals um, that we really don't care about, like, you know, putting pesticides, uh, you know, the spray on your grass that kills dandelions, for example, and how that's damaging the bee population. You, you know, you can't say I'm going to not eat meat because that's the only way to be ethical and then walk outside and dump that stuff on your grass. For somebody who's recovering from an eating disorder, um, veganism is one example of this, like creating another set of rules that you have to follow mm-hmm. that aren't necessary. And so to me, that's one reason why you would say that's not healthy. And I don't know how any clinician would be like, no, 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 it's all good to create another whole set of rules because we've brought, we're trying to like break those rules that they had for themselves. I don't know. Is veganism good for everybody? Is a Fitbit good for everybody? Obviously, there are people for whom those things work great, but you could see how even for the general population or for somebody who maybe is tightly wound, uh, anxious type of person, like maybe my personality is, then, you know, I'm not going to do good with those things either. And I don't even have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the point that I've been trying to make to, to my daughter whenever, now that she's recovered and, you know, in a, in a great part of, of her recovery process, she's not done, but, um, you know, she's doing fabulously now. And we have conversations about this and we've, we've talked about the fact that there are things that, um, she'll never be able to do that other people can do. And that's just her way her life is, you know, yes, it's just yes. like, and I, I absolutely agree. I, I, that's, what, that's the point I'm always trying to make. It's, it's you know, like I don't know that much about whether veganism is going to save the world or if it's actually good for people or bad for people. But all I know is that I don't think people with eating disorders can. They, they don't have that option. It's just mm-hmm. not healthy for them. Um, yeah, and if they are interested in um, having different a different relationship with the food system if the political aspect of the food system is really important to them um there are many ways that they can get involved with like csas which are community supported agriculture organizations that where farmers in your area can like sell um you can like buy scheduled delivery of produce and sometimes meats to your home it depends on where you live and what you have access to in that way Um, and so there you're literally buying from somebody who raises these animals themselves and treats them in a really humane manner Um, and i think that there are other uh, ways that you can buy animals and eggs and dairy Um, It depends on where you live. I mean, I think when you live in a very urban environment, um, food sourcing is is a challenge ethically no matter what, because it's always going to involve a lot of fossil fuel to get it to you if there's no farms nearby. But if you live somewhere that there's any kind of farming nearby, um, it's entirely possible to create relationships with people who do raise these animals themselves and purchase them from them. Um, And you can buy them. I mean, I, when I was stopped being vegan, I really challenged myself to learn everything I could about um, animals so that I felt like I was, if I was going to eat them, I understood what all that was all about. Right, so tell me a bit about that. Well, there are processes of producing animal food products that are horrendous, hideous, awful, should be banned. I mean, there's a really ugly aspect to our food system. It's tragic for humans. Um, there are humans who suffer <clears throat> in produce manufacturing horrendously. 
<clears throat> in terms of working conditions and pesticide poisoning. And like the reason why we get E. coli sometimes from things like spinach is because some of the people who are farming those products don't have bathroom breaks. So they just go to the bathroom in the fields. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of labor abuse in all agriculture. Um, so vegans can't even get away from that and saying they're just going to eat, you know, produce because produce can still be a part of that ugly, you know, labor piece of that, that aspect of our food system. Um, and so that's always something I like to point out to vegans too. So true story. A couple of years ago, I visited Mike Calicrate's Calicrate Meat Cattle Farm and Slaughterhouse down in Colorado Springs. I was in recovery and I was wanting to understand more about how the more ethical producers of meat work. I, I was struggling. I, I'd been vegan. I'd been vegetarian. I hadn't felt good on it. I knew I needed to eat meat, but I was really struggling getting my head around doing that. So I thought, I'm going to go down to this farm that somebody's told me this guy produces really good meat from happy cows and I'm going to go and see how it all works. Mike was wonderful. He gave me a private tour of the entire facility and at the end he took me to a burger outlet and he bought me a burger made from the meat of one of his happy cows and he sat down with me and, and ate a burger with me. So I got to see the cows, I got to see the entire slaughter facility. Not an experience for everyone, but it certainly brought me closer to my meat. And I was able to eat that burger and feel really good about it. So it worked for me. Okay, back to our discussion. And so, um, so there are a number of different philosophies about how you raise animals successfully. And I would say that the one that I came to support to uh, subscribe to after doing a lot of research is the idea that you know all animals are situated within ecosystems and therefore their diets are supposed to be a part of that ecosystem they're supposed to eat something that would be occurring in the place where they're living and then something else in that place would eat them or foster off their dung or you know there's this whole we all kind of understand that circle of life thing um and if you really get into biology and into ecology and you start to look at the microorganism at the microorganism level where i've gone to some seminars and lectures I've, about soil um content it's it's phenomenal how um a properly designed food system where everything is getting what it needs and in turn is consumed by something else is a beautiful thing. And throughout the time that the planet's been here, there've been lots of periods of time that those systems have existed in different parts of the world. Um, and so if you find a way of getting access to animals that are raised humanly, humanely, that are raised like cows eating grass, um, out in a field as opposed to standing on top of each other being fed corn, which they're really not designed to eat in terms of the way that their biological systems are structured, um, you're going to get, A, a really different quality product in terms of the nutrition for human consumption. And the farmer I buy from sold me on this years ago by providing me with all kinds of laboratory data. It was really, really interesting. Um, and uh, But the other piece of that is that it's nicer for the cow and it feels better for them eating the thing that their body was designed to eat. They get to walk around outside. 
um, that kind of meat is more expensive. Um, and so somebody who shops that way and who tries to procure meat that way is probably going to have to work out an alternative buying system or be willing to pay a little bit more. But if you were a vegan and you're saying, all right, I'm going to eat meat and you want to buy humane meat, maybe it means you don't eat tons of meat. I don't know, but you know, people need to eat tons of meat. It, um, so there, there are definitely farmers who would love to develop a relationship with you and be able to sell you their products and know that you appreciate it and that they get to kind of bypass all of the complicated corporate structures of the food system and go directly to you. Um, there's a lot of different ways of connecting up and being able to, to find that, especially if you have like a health food co-op in your community. There's usually people associated with that or a college or university nearby. There's always somebody on campus who has some kind of interest in that, it seems, these days. So um, in terms of, you know, if somebody had an interest and you were encouraging them to go, you know, identify some different ways of gaining access to food, some of it becomes boutique food and it becomes overly priced and ridiculous and hipster food, and I get that. And I roll my eyes at it the same as anybody else does. But um, in terms of, you know, how some of this are... Uh, resourcing of our food system is, is taking place. Um, I, I get that there's some of it that's sort of laughable, but the nice part of localized food is that you take away so much of the um, negative aspects of our food system. You know, when you can buy from somebody who doesn't have to prepare that product to travel a far distance. For example, they don't have to preserve it as much. They don't have to add a bunch of chemicals to it to the soil, to the product, to, they don't have to use as much packaging. I don't know. I could go on forever about all of the, you know, ethical benefits of eating locally. So the more that, that somebody researches ethical food, it is very, very possible. You do not have to listen to the UN and all of their big data crunching numbers, because I fundamentally believe that the solution to our food, to our crisis on this planet in terms of being able to feed the ever-increasing population is going to be small and localized. Oh, yeah. It, it's not going to be giant masses of seed that have perfect pesticide that we sow like every bit of land with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's and I, I know what you mean. And I, I know, I mean, I live in Boulder, Colorado. It's, I okay. think it is the capital of the um, trendy food stuff. Trendy yeah. food stuff. And <laughs> I, so I do actually come across a lot of people who are vegans, very nice people. Like I, I have a lot of friends who are vegan. But the thing that gets me is it's like so many things. It's... They treat it as if it's binary. Either you're going to McDonald's and eating the trashiest meat that's available or you're a vegan. And, you know, it's like, well, I know I am very selective about the meat that I buy. Um, I keep my own chickens. Oh, do you? Okay. And see, that's a perfect example of something that you could share with somebody who's who is, has an eating disorder. I mean, caring for animals has been a, an amazing healing process for my daughter. And when you raise your own animals, I think that gives you a, a phenomenal understanding of food, uh, personally. I mean, a much better one than when we go to the grocery store, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, in my own space, yeah, like I, I'd say that I have a great relationship with um, my animals. I have a great relationship with the food that comes from my animals. The only thing I haven't been able to get, which I would buy, is raw milk. Um, just because I think that would be cool to try. But um, I can't do that without buying a share in a cow. And we do, yeah, we've been doing that for a while. In fact, my daughter's treatment facility is actually a dairy calf 
production facility. So they take orphaned calves and the girls raise them. And my daughter was really into that part of her recovery program, the caring for and all of the sort of science of feeding these animals um, and helping them recover when they aren't eating. And I mean, it was actually kind of bizarre that she was really into helping some other animal eat. But, um, and, uh, but my point is we had actually, before she went there, a friend who is a dairy farmer in town and we did buy part of a uh, quote, part of a cow, but it was like sort of, um, legal paperwork wise so that we could just get this milk. We used to drive to the farm and pick it up and, and, and raw milk is, is amazing. It, um, for somebody who has maybe had dairy problems in the past, like anybody, you know, that's lactose intolerant, I would always encourage them to give raw milk a try before they mm. just that food their diet because you can digest it in different it's so much easier to digest going back to balance again you know and I do do all these things and I I'm very I'm generally very careful about the meat that I eat but you know just for the sake of being able to and every time every now and then giving an up yours to my eating disorder I will walk into some burger place and just be like give me a double cheeseburger and the point is so that I'm not always like oh I have to know where all my food comes you know I can't just eat and something completely what? unhealthy and be happy about doing it but it's again it's not just back to your eating disorder I call that balanced living I mean when you're on a road trip and the only thing to eat in the middle of nowhere in Kansas is going to be McDonald's you're just going to eat McDonald's and enjoy what that mm -hmm. tastes like and go on and not say sorry I can't eat I am like oh, I only eat these things like you just, that's just being a normal human. <laughs> like. And by the way, last week's Up Yours to Anorexia was the biggest, greasiest slice of pepperoni pizza from the Costco warehouse cafeteria. Not organic, not grass-fed, not GMO-free, just delicious. Enjoyed every bite. I think I enjoyed it all the more so because I honestly thought at one time that that was something I would never be able to eat again. Just goes to show you can do anything when you put your mind to it. But this got Karen and I onto discussing the less attractive side of fussy eating in social situations. I feel like that is another part of the whole veganism equation. I'm sorry, but I look back and I'm like ashamed if I was rude to people that I was like, oh, I don't eat that. I, I sometimes think from an anthropological perspective, my goodness, you know, yeah. food yeah. is a, a gift when yeah, people... I, I, also, I also have this rule that if I am going to someone else's house for dinner, I will eat whatever is put in front of me. Whatever, you know. Um, I Again, it's just, you know, like, that's a gift. Someone else is feeding me. I'm not going to ask, is this chicken free range? You know, right. I'm going to eat whatever is put in front of me. The Portlandia episode where they go to the chicken farm. Have you seen that? No. <laughs> oh, there's this very funny skit on Portlandia. It's one of the first ones where um, they they ask the name of the chicken and they're given because Portland's known sort of like Boulder for being one of those communities that's um, you know wealthy and very persnickety about things like where their food comes from, and um, they they find out like they get like a dossier on the chicken and they learn its name and its point of origin and then they go to the farm leaky farms to meet the farmer so they can just find out about the chicken's past before they eat it so after we'd finished i asked karen if she would be able to share with me some links that i could put on the podcast episode of 
links to sites and studies around um, the ethical reasoning around pro and anti-veganism and just so that people can have a look at some of the research that's been done in the field and also about sustainable agriculture and um, solutions to this problem. And I thought she'd send me one or two links and she sent me about 20. It's crazy, but they're all on... Um, my website, tabithafra.com, this podcast episode links to all of those studies, articles, resources. Interesting arguments in there in the solutions part, or not so much arguments, but, but solutions or suggestions for those of us who kind of like the ethical idea of not killing animals and being vegan, but at the same time we have an eating disorder that might go a little bit crazy and take us with it if we do embark on any restrictive diets. There is a solution. Just getting your head around it is the main thing. And if you can recover from an eating disorder, you can get your head around just about anything, I think. Colossal thanks to Karen for coming on and chatting to me about this. Now, what about you? What do you think? I would love to hear from you. You might have a story around recovery that you want to share. Or maybe you're vegan and you think that my opinion on this is a lot of codswallop. Either way, drop me a line. Email is info at tabithafarrar.com or you can tweet me. It's at love underscore fat underscore. Cheers. And until next time, cheerio.